0: We're working through Songs of Our Savior. It's a new series, an Advent series that we're working through. Lucas came and he introduced to us the very first songs. We're looking at four songs that happened in the birth story of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. Last week, we looked at Mary's song. We looked at how God's favor was on Mary and how her response was that of worship. Tonight, we're looking at Zachariah's song. And here's what we're gonna find. Actually, as we look at each of these songs, they're all worshipful responses. Every single one of them, when the different Stories happen in the lives of real people in human history where they are confronted with the good news that God has come into the world. The response is always worship, it's always singing out a song of rejoicing to God. And tonight we're looking at Zachariah's worshipful response to the coming of Christ, but his is a little bit interesting because it's delayed. Zechariah's response, his song that he gives to the coming of Jesus, or at least the declaration that God is coming into the world, is delayed because at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Zechariah had a once in a lifetime experience. He got to go into the Holy of Holies. Zechariah was a priest amongst God's people. There's about 18,000 priests at this point in time amongst God's people. There's 24 different sects. He's one of those in the the eighth division and every single priest, here's what they got to do, twice a year, they got to serve one week periods where they would minister in the temple of God. And during the time of Zachariah's service. He got to reach the height of the career of any priest at this point in time. He was selected by the casting of lots to go into the Holy of Holies. It doesn't get any bigger than this. And Zechariah, you can just imagine the anticipation, everything that he's been looking forward to as a priest. He gets to, for the only time in his life, go into the very place where God's presence dwells amongst his people. I mean, you're talking about this is what everybody in Israel wanted and only a select few got to go in and this is his one shot in life. And so what happens is he goes into the Holy Holies to burn incense before God, the unimaginable, unimaginable happens. An angel meets him. And it's not just any angel, it's Gabriel. Gabriel the angel meets Zachariah in the Holy of Holies. And so what Gabriel meets Zachariah for is to declare to Zechariah, you're going to have a baby boy. Now this is shocking because Zachariah is two things. He's old, and he and his wife Elizabeth are barren. They are without child. And so Zachariah gets this news that they're about to have a baby, not just a baby, like, like having a baby boy, like someone that gets to carry on his family name. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is like something worth celebrating. He's rejoicing, and he's overcome by the news of what Gabriel brings to him, so much so that his response is that of disbelief. His question, back to to Gabriel as he brings this news to Zechariah, is how can I know this? He's asking for a sign. Gabriel, this this is information that's too good. Like, you have to give me a sign. You have to show me that this is going to be true. I'm advanced in years. My wife is barren. You have to show me a sign that this is going to come to fruition. And because of his disbelief, God makes Zachariah both deaf and mute until this promise comes to fruition in his life. So what you have to imagine, the circumstances happening Zechariah goes into the Holy of Holies. The time that he goes in, the burning of incense, all of Israel is gathered for prayer and they're waiting for him to come out. So, Zechariah, after meeting Gabriel, he's in the presence of God, gets this beautiful promise. He's going to have a baby boy. He comes out. Not only can he not tell people about it, but he can't even field their questions. The Bible tells us that he's trying to motion signals. He's trying to give them all these different signs about what he's just experienced and everybody just disperses because he he can't adequately communicate what has happened to him inside the Holy of Holies. And so you fast forward nine months and Zechariah's son is born. And after his son is born, what you do is on the eighth day if it's a boy, you take your boy to the temple to be circumcised, and at the temple is where you give your boy his name. And Elizabeth goes with Zechariah, takes the child to the temple, and according to the angel's instructions that were given to Zechariah inside of the Holy of Holies, Elizabeth says because Zechariah can't speak, his name is to be John. And there's a problem, and the problem is that there's nobody in the family line of Zechariah that's named John. At this point in time, if you had a boy, you name the boy after someone in your family. And so they're trying to name the boy Zechariah. They can't be John. And so they turn to Zechariah. And so what Zechariah does is says, hey, bring me a tablet. Not like an iPad tablet, but like a tablet for you to use like clay or something to write on. And so what he writes out is that the boy's name is to be John and boom. Immediately, Zechariah's ears are open. His mouth is loosed. And he's able to actually finally respond to everything that's happened. And what comes out is a song that we get tonight. The song of Zechariah. Here's how it starts. Verse 68. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel. The meaning of blessed here means he's praiseworthy. He's worthy of praise. And there's no question about who is worthy of praise here. Zechariah is very adamant. He gives us the object of worship. It's the God of Israel. So you could read it like this. Worthy of praise is the Lord the God of Israel. And then what transpires is he gives us the two reasons that God is worthy of praise. And here's the two. That God provides redemption for his people. And God prepares the way for redemption for his people. That's what you see throughout the song of Zechariah. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're just going to look at these two different patterns, these two parts of Zechariah's song, that God provides redemption and that he he provides the way for it. And as we do this, here's my prayer. My prayer is two things. That God wakes us up. As we hear the good news of redemption, that God would wake us up. And then as he wakes us up, that we have been moved to sing. That he wakes us up to the good news of redemption, and that our response is that we sing. So let's begin as Zechariah begins, looking at God providing redemption. We see this in verses 68 through 75, right? So here's what I wanna do I just wanna unpack, I wanna walk through verse by verse how Zechariah. Teases this out for us. I think it's very, very instructive for us in our own personal life. So we're gonna work through that and then we'll end that section with some application, right? So verse 68, let me read the first part again and then we'll dive in. It says, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. So this pronouncement that Zechariah is bringing to God's people has lost its grandeur because we are on the other side of Jesus, all right? So you have to imagine where Zechariah is at, where his people are at, what the point in human history is at this point in time. For Zechariah, it's been 400 years since they heard from God. It's been 400 years since he has shown up and he's spoken to his people, Israel has returned from exile in Babylon. As they returned from exile, there were great promises about this coming Messiah that was going to come and be a savior, not only to the nation of Israel, but to all of the nations of the world. And as all of this is taking place, as these big promises are coming about, silence for 400 years. What's swelling up in God's people is great anticipation that these promises are going to be finally realized. And as all of this comes out with Zechariah in the Holy of Holies, what we find throughout Zechariah's life from the moment that he meets Gabriel in the Holy of Holies, is it's not just Elizabeth that's pregnant for nine months. Zachariah is pregnant for nine months about the story and the announcement that these promises are finally going to be fulfilled. Can you just imagine that nine months that you're deaf and you're you're mute and you can't tell people what they've been waiting for for 400 years? Like, you're just like, ready to rip your guts out and just like, get this out, this good news out of me. That's what's going on inside of him and as soon as his mouth is opened, what you get is the song that God's come. God's shown up again. God's visited. He, I saw him. In the, through Gabriel, I saw the, in the Holy of Holies where his presence resides with his people. God's back. He was He was here. Not not only did he show up, but like he told me great and wonderful things. God's fulfilling His promises. He's coming through. Like he, you just imagine this huge smile that's on his face. Redemption is finally coming. It's finally here. All that we've been waiting for, this is it. This is the moment It's coming out in this glorious song. Now what? was like this deep secret that was just trying to make its way out of Zachariah's body for nine months is a bit underwhelming to us today because we're familiar with the story, right? Like, yeah, this is what God does. God God provides redemption. We, We have this idea, you've heard people say this, like you had one job. Or that's what we kind of, that's how, it's not okay, but this is how we relate to God at times. It's like, you had one job, like redemption. It, yeah, of course, you're going to fall through. But have you ever stopped to consider the amount of detail that God had to go to in order to fulfill his promises in the way that he did? Because that's what Zechariah does for the remainder of the verses through 75. He looks back on the details that God went through in order to fulfill his promises. So Let's just work through them so that we can be reminded of what God has done in fulfilling his promise and sending Jesus into the world. Here's what verse 69 says. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. At the point in time that's happening right now with Zechariah, that was a thousand years ago. David had come a thousand years ago. Look, Ancestry.com, you like do the pricking of your blood and you send in your DNA, they can't go back that far. A thousand years looking back on a promise that was given to King David, the greatest king of Israel's history. He's finally come, the one we've anticipated the one that was promised to the house of David. Look, not just the millions of or billions possibly even uh, of Israelites that have come since that point in time. Like they can trace it back all the way to King David. The the promise that was given to the greatest king has come to fruition. Verse 70, just as he spoke by the mouth of, of his holy prophets in ancient times, ancient times, speaking of like the time that has passed. So what, what Zachariah is thinking here of is all the prophets from David to his point in time that have looked back on the promise that was given to King David, the ones that in the in-between that have spoken about the promise to David, the one that the shoot of Jesse that's gonna come and is gonna deliver God's people, all of those prophets There's finally a fulfillment of all that they've spoken to us about. I'm talking about Hosea. I'm talking about Isaiah. I'm talking about Ezekiel. I'm talking about Daniel. These big, prominent names, ones that have written entire books of the Bible, these men have written about, they've spoken about, they've prophesied about this coming one of Jesus from the house of David, and it's here and Zechariah almost is like, oh, that's not far back enough. No, we got to go back further than that. He goes to verse 72. He's dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So Zechariah goes back a thousand years to look at David. He said, let's go back a thousand more. 2,000 years between the point in time of Abraham and the time of Jesus. And what Zechariah is saying, he's remembered our forefathers. The promise that God gave to Abraham that salvation for the world is coming through this brand new people that he's going to bring about through Abraham who also couldn't have a child, Old in age, his wife was barren just as Zechariah's wife was. And then Isaac, Isaac happens. And then Jacob happens. And the promise is being fulfilled from even the point in time 2,000 years ago whenever God's people are, are uh, birthed into existence. God is fulfilling his covenant even to them. And then Zachary says, but I'm still not done yet. <laughs> we need to go back a little bit further. And what we see is 73 through 75. Here's what it says. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. What's happening here is Zachariah is not talking about Rome. Rome isn't their greatest enemies. Rome isn't the one that keeps God's people from serving God without fear. Rome isn't the one that keeps God or God's people from living in his presence as holy and righteous. That's not the greatest enemy. The greatest enemy is Satan, sin, and death. He's pointed us back all the way back to the garden. In Genesis 3, 15, the promise that's given to Eve that there will be a son, a seed that comes from the woman who ate of the fruit, that there will be one that Satan tries to nip at his heels, but there's a striking blow that comes to the head, a death blow to the head of Satan. Satan. Zechariah saying, that one's here. That one has come. So look. God is fulfilling his promises that he's made, not to just God's people, but to humanity. That our worst problems, Satan, sin, and death, all of it, is being met through this baby Jesus that's coming into the world. Zechariah is saying, Jesus is the one. God is entering human history. The divine is clothing himself with human flesh. Here's why. So that you can be redeemed, look, listen to this, by the blood of God. the cross is only a bite to the heel of Jesus, but the resurrection is the death blow to Satan, sin, and death. And the one that has come to bring the death blow is here. It's happened in Jesus. At the news of this great redemption, Zechariah gives God his song. We give God our yawn. We've heard the birth story of Jesus time and time again. Throughout the the course of the year, when it comes to our Bible reading plans, we look at the birth story of Jesus. I know this. I know this. Let's just skim through it. Let's get through it. Let's get to some of the other parts. Let's let's get some of the other miracles. Let's get some of my favorite sayings of Jesus. Let, let's get to the let not, let's get to the the bulk of the story. Right when it comes to skipping songs about Christ's coming, we've made songs like "Joy to the World" that were not written actually for Christmas, but we made them just segregated for the Christmas season because it's. The coming of Christ is something that it feels overiterated. We give God our proverbial yawn. The gift of Advent is that it wakes us up to the good news of redemption. That we come back to God fulfilling His promises. And what Advent does is it's like the history of the church is grabbing us by the shoulders. By placing this on the Christian calendar, and it's shaking us, shaking us and it's waking us up to the reality of this is too good of news to just skip over. Redemption has come. Here's what it's kind of like, all right? So I have a, a grandfather, um, grandpa, call him Grandpa Tiger. Um, he falls asleep all the time in movies. <laughs> We go and we'll watch movies in the movie theater. And there can be some movies that like we have really, really loved. And we'll take him to it. It's like action-packed, super loud. It's like, I don't know how anybody could fall asleep, but grandpa's over there falling asleep. He's dozing off. And it's like, trying to rib him, right? You're trying to elbow into the rib cage, Grandpa, wake up. This is too good. Like you have to watch this. This is the amazing scene to the story. If you you miss this part, you don't get the rest of the story. You're ribbing grandpa awake. We're grandpa. And Advent is giving us the elbow to the ribs. Wake up. This story of redemption is too good. It wakes us up. So throughout the course of this Advent season, will you wake up? Will you gaze at the wondrous news that God has come into the world? He's kept his promises. Your God is the one that keeps his word. He's the one that follows through. When we think about where we're at right now, look, we are the people that look forward with anticipation. This isn't our heaven. We're looking with anticipation where Jesus comes back and he brings heaven down to earth. Will you believe? Whenever we believe that this isn't our heaven and we have the eager Longing and anticipate it changes the way you live. Will you wake up? Zechariah is moved to song. May we not give God our yawn. God provides redemption. Now here's what's fascinating. Zechariah's song to this point is nothing about the birth of his son. <laughs> he hasn't even touched The birth of his own son yet. But that all changes in verse 76. What we see is that God not only provides redemption, but he also prepares the way for it. See this in verses 76 through 80. So let me read 76 through 77, and then we'll pause and debrief about it a little bit. Here's what it says. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So Zechariah is finally now speaking about his own son. His son, who is now John, is the prophet of the Most High. He's the one that's foretold in passages like Isaiah 40. The one like Elijah is going to come and prepare the way of the Savior that's entering into the world. And John goes before Jesus to prepare for him a people. And what he does is he goes and he makes announcements about the people's need for salvation. It's what we see in 77, to give his people knowledge of salvation. And then John, John, as he's doing this, he points to the one that can actually bring redemption to the people. John is not standing and saying, I'm the one that's bringing you redemption. I'm the one that's just preparing the way. I'm the one that points to the one that's coming, the one that I can't even stoop down to untie the straps of his sandals. That one is coming. He's my cousin. He's coming. He's, he's following after me. And so you... You look at this, if you're Zechariah and you're the people and you're wondering, well, what, what, what does this look like? Well, we get actual witness of what this was like in Luke 3, verse 3. He says, the Bible says, Luke says, records, he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, don't move too quickly past this. For people to find salvation from their sins, there's always somebody that has to tell somebody. We all, in order to be wakened up to our need for salvation, need someone that's come and is telling us the news of our state before a righteous and holy God. John comes before Jesus to tell people that they need the forgiveness of sins that's coming from Jesus who is following after him. For us, we go after Jesus as those who have tasted Christ's forgiveness and telling other people about it. This is a call of every Christian. You get this in Romans chapter 10. Here's what Paul tells us. How then, Can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? Speaking of Jesus. And how can they hear without a preacher? Look, it's not just talking about a person that's standing up, opening up God's word. It's talking about the witness of every Christian that's going out into the world, making the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, salvation in Jesus, available to all that are in the world. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this is a privilege. I'm afraid we view it more as a burden than a benefit, though. Oftentimes, it feels like a gift that's been given to us that feels like a weight that that bears us down it feels like a burden we we view it only in the negative i got to go tell people that they're sinful that feels hard it feels awkward How do I I step in and talk to people about this? Why would God say this is a privilege for me? That I have to go tell people this kind of news. But what if there is a change of mind and heart for us? What if there was a different way for us to view the idea that we are those that come heralding the good news of what Jesus has done for them. Because Zechariah here doesn't respond to this idea about going and telling people about Jesus as a burden. It's not something that weighs him down. In fact, it's something that lifts him up. What, what does he do? He sinks. He sinks. Here's what we see in, in verses uh, 78 through 79, three, three peace. We see the pleasure of God, we see the power of God, and we see the peace of God. Let's look at these, and I, hopefully they'll transform the way we think about telling people about the good news of Jesus. We see, the pleasure of God in verse 68 it says this, because of God's merciful compassion. Merciful compassion here actually means the bowels or the vital organs of God are actually mercy. His, the guts of the inside of God, the vital organs, are that of mercy. The in, inner cravings that are taking place within the righteous and holy God of the world are only satisfied when he gets to extend mercy to those that don't deserve it. That's the pleasure of God. What brings delight to his heart is seeing people that are far off from him, pursuing them, bringing them back in by doing all the work for them. That's the pleasure of God. That's the kindness and the mercy and the compassion of God. He does not look on those that are far off from him, wondering when they're finally gonna wake up to the realization that they need him and come back to him. He's always the one that pursues. And it's his delight. It's his pleasure. The inner organs of God are those that want and long and desire to Give away his mercy. Secondly, we see the power of God. Because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness, in the shadow of death. So we get this picture of light and darkness here. When the, you, you see Luke used the word shine here he's actually talking about power. A power to drive out darkness. So my brother and I went and we visited this cave system called the Mammoth Caves. Huge caves, huge caverns. So you go on this walking hike through the caverns, and at the point where you get the lowest part before it gets a little bit dangerous, you get to this big landing. When you get to the big landing... They turn off all the lights. And the darkness is overwhelming. I mean, I don't know if you've felt like a really dark darkness, but it's so thick that you almost feel like it covering you like a blanket. In the midst of feeling that darkness, the instructor, the one that's taking us on this little hike, pulls out of his pocket a little lighter. and He flashes the lighter and it pierces the darkness. The power of a little lighter overwhelms the thickest darkness and you can finally see. What, what Zachariah is telling us, what Luke is bringing and recording for us is that that kind of light that's not just a little lighter in a pocket, but the source of the sun has entered into into the world and the darkness that has been so thick like a blanket over the world has been pierced by this light that has come into the world and it's driven away darkness and pay attention to who Zachariah says it's shined on because it's shined on people that live in the darkness not the people that are trying to live and walk well in this life because there are none but those that are awakened to their deep need. And it also says that the shadow of death is driven out. How do shadows work? There's a source of light that's behind something that is shining on the actual figure, and then the shadow is displayed beforehand. Well, here's the good news about Jesus is that the shadow of death has been removed. Why? Because the source of light has come into the world. What was once pointing from behind the source of light in the Old Testament, pointing to the redemption that is going to come, it is now come. We're no longer looking backwards. Jesus has come, and look, he's dealt with your greatest need. He's defeated death, he went to the cross, he bore the sting of death. It no longer is a light that's cast behind you. Jesus has come and he's dealt with your deepest need. And it's the power of God that drives away the very sickness of sin in our life because he has come into the world and he's dealt with it because he put on human flesh and he could die in your place and he could raise from the grave and put death in its place. So let's stop here, Okay. So you have the pleasure of God and the power of God. Here's what John Stott says. In all evangelism, I find it a constant encouragement to say to myself, the other person's conscience is on my side. Every person in this world at some point in time feels deep within them that they are sick with sin. So here's what evangelism often is. It's being advantageous and stepping in to share the good news that the pleasure of God is to meet your deepest sickness in this life. And then the witness that the power of that salvation has actually come in and has already dealt with it. So I have one more pee to go, but at least at this point, feel the turn, Right? It's not the burden of going and telling people about how awful they are. It's actually going to people that are already feeling a sense that there is a sin sickness in their life. And at the moment where they open up to you, you get the opportunity to share what is the pleasure of God as well as the power of God. But it doesn't end there. You also get the peace of God. We see it in verse 79. To guide our feet into the way of peace. way of peace is not simply the path that leads to peace, but is itself a peaceful path. It's a new way of living. It's a way of living that you're no longer looking over your shoulder wondering if the price of your sin has truly been paid for. You don't have to live with the anxiety And the fear is, is there anything more that I must do in order to be forgiven by God? It's a new way to live. You get to live in peace. Here's one way that an author said it. Peace will characterize the walk along this road of life for you now. This is the privilege of sharing Jesus with people. That in that moment where people feel, as Stott was saying, that they feel the sickness of sin in their life, you have the prick of their conscience on your side that you get to offer up not only the pleasure of God, not only the power of God, but a new way to live. I needed this this week. <laughs> I, As I was preparing the message, like God kind of opened up my eyes to my own personal struggle that I was living with some of that anxiety and fear. I had some previous sin in my life from about a decade ago that I was wondering if it really had been dealt with. I mean, I, I had confessed it. I have repented of it but I was still living with the anxiety and fear that God was still hanging something over my head because there was just maybe one extra thing that I needed to go do in order to be forgiven before God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that I have trusted in the work of Jesus on my behalf. I've confessed it with my mouth. I believed it in my heart. There's nobody else that I turn to for the forgiveness of my sins. And look, for any of you that are in the same place that I was in this past week, your path now is peace. You've been made right with God. There's nothing else that is left to do. You get to walk in a life of pattern of repentance, yes, but there's no getting yourself across the line in order to get forgiveness. Jesus got you up to it. Now it's your job to get yourself over it. It's been done. And it's the same hope that you get to bring to anyone else that's in your shoes. And look, any person that has a pulse deals with it regularly. So the call of Advent is not to feel burdened by going and taking the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying and needy world. It's your privilege. So the call of Advent is that you sing and you tell. You take the joy that Zachariah has in seeing This song. And it's now your privilege to go tell people about it. Let's put our theology to practice, what we believe about God. You were not born in the day and age that you live in by accident. You weren't placed in the city by happenstance where you live. You don't live In the home or the apartment, just by chance. You don't work next to the person that sits to your left or your right in the business that you work at. The school that you go to was not just because you decided on it because you got a scholarship or because it had the best academics or because it had the field that you wanted to go into. We believe in a God that is working all things at all times for his purposes and his plans and your good. Which means that the people that are in your life were intended to be in your life so you can share the good news of Jesus with them. The pleasure of God. The power of God. The peace of God. And the call of Advent is the reminder Go sing and tell it. So here's how I want to end. Um, If Advent wakes us up to the gift of redemption, and the call of Advent is to sing and to tell, over the course of this season, we want to create space for us to respond. So here's what we want this to look like over the next few weeks. There's three R's that we're going to try to create for us at the end of the service. And here they are. That you would remember, that you would repent, and that you would rejoice. We remember by taking communion together every single week. It's a reminder to us. This gift of redemption that is Jesus Christ has created fellowship with God for us. We get to remember that every single week by taking a meal together. Repentance is no longer just this sorrowful, beating yourself up kind of idea. It's actually the joy and the delight of the Christian life. When we repent, it's us walking in fellowship with God. So what we're going to do is we're going to create space after you take communion to gather in your rows to pray and repent. We have prayer prompts that we're going to walk you through just about five minutes at the end of each service that we're going to just give you space to pray and repent and rejoice in what God has done for you. And we'll end by doing a rejoice in song. We'll end by singing. Look, may we not be the people that are just like, (sighs) barely singing. We're doing the, the little sway, you know, and we're singing about the story of Christmas. No. The hope of redemption has come. Jesus is worthy of your worship. Some way we sing and rejoice. Let me pray for us, and we'll step into these.